You recording? Yeah. <laughs> I'm always curious because, okay, doing this podcast has definitely changed the way that we interact because we both listen to it after it's done. And in the early days, I would have to ask you if you were recording because I, I didn't know if you were recording or not. Nowadays, you get a little bit presentational when you start recording because, you know, I use these little snippets before the show and you're like, record. And now a little bit of extra sass. <laughs> Here's my sass. Have you noticed that of yourself? You see it as presentational, but I someone wrote me an email saying, like a friend of mine, wrote me an email saying that at the start of one of the podcasts, there was just a lovely moment of me being me. Oh, what did you do? I don't know what I did. They said it you was lovely. You probably made a very racist joke. I don't think that that's what happened. <laughs> I don't think that I've made one racist joke. On this show. No, I agree. You have not made one racist joke. <laughs> you did not stop yourself at one <laughs> racist joke. I think we can both agree on that. You know Neil Portenza? Yes. He's one of the finest comedians in the land. Okay. There's a comedian. He's from Melbourne. His name's Josh Ladgro, but his most well-known character is Dr. Professor Neil Portenza. And I just went and saw, I, this is going to be so out of date by the time anyone listens to this. It's going to be like the comedy festival two months ago. But I went and saw his show um, with my family. And we went and saw his show last year with my family. And he made a joke about my mom touching my dad's wrinkly balls, which was kind of weird, but a very tiny moment in the show. But he had this bit where he gave people in the audience and I got one of them um, water pistols. And I was supposed to spray him anytime he did something racist, <laughs> which was a really funny idea. But as an audience member, I realized it totally changed my experience of the show because I had a job. Oh, see, I love that. I've done that a few times at his shows. He's been like, I need someone to do this. No, no, no. I was like, pick me, pick me. And then I was like, actually, this is making me enjoy the jokes less because I'm like trying to assess each one as he says. <laughs> You're like, I've got a task now. <laughs> yeah. I've been given a job and I do not want to disappoint. If any racist joke slips through, it's up to me, SJ Hayward, to save the day. I feel like this piece of audio could be used very well for a job interview. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot get off task even in recreational situations. It's really good. And I mean, what really I good. admire about him as a performer is more actually, like he's obviously really talented and he's really honed his thing. For those of you who don't know who he is, because we're just talking about him like everyone knows, I would describe his stuff as contemporary clowning. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And Ver a lot more verbal stuff than clowning usually has. Been, yeah, not, not really miming, but although a bit of physical comedy kind of stuff, but very interactive and very kind of breaking the fourth wall and pushing the boundaries. Fucking amazing. He's probably, I think he has done one of the best, like three shows I've seen in my life. Yeah. And he does this thing where the whole time it feels like the show is only just hanging together, which yeah. for me as a person who's done theater shows and stuff and is like trying to work out how it actually works. I'm constantly just sitting there being like, how much is this falling apart or is this just looking like it's falling apart but it's actually working perfectly right now and I think it's actually this really nice somewhere in the middle of those two things but what I think he does really amazingly as a performer is that he really does seem to be totally okay to take risks and fail 
Yeah, absolutely. Like he does stuff that doesn't work. We the show we went to it was really great, and the last three minutes were just really flat. And he was like, "Thanks for coming. That was really great. I am sorry for those last three minutes. They obviously didn't work, but you know, and that's part of his thing. Yeah, he owns it. Oh yeah, but he's done other shows. I think there was a show where he got a suit made out of like material with the SBS logo all over it or something. <laughs> and it was just this weird weird show that I didn't go to it but it sounded very like um it sounded like it didn't totally work and he was totally fine with that and I think he was doing it like every night of the comedy festival as well oh I remember that show I know the one you're talking about uh, he was it was like it was more straight stand-up than he normally does yeah and afterwards my sister went to it and afterwards apparently he sat down with everyone in the audience I think there was the one my sister went to there was only like three people there and um he was just like, so what do you think about this? And like, what what do you reckon about this format? And what could we do with this? Which is just, I just really appreciate that openness. I think it's cool. So there are about probably, you know, there's several hundred in the world, maybe thousands. But there's a few people who I know who I would classify as genius with this definition. Someone who is very good at a particular thing and does that particular thing really well, like or, like that's the thing that they do. So Dr. Professor Neil Potenza, Josh uh, is one of those people. Like he does that thing super well, and that's the thing that he does with his time. You know what I mean? I mean, isn't he also some sort of like really complicated engineer? No, he got an, wait, am I thinking of him? No, I'm thinking of Alistair, who's another Melbourne comedian who got an He's engineering degree. He's also an degree. engineer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think, I think Josh just does comedy for a living. I think he has for years now. So I saw his show last year. Wow. We should just send this to Josh. Be like, <laughs> hey, can you answer all our questions? <laughs> <laughs> you should date him for a while and then break up and then he can come be a guest on the podcast. Oh, that's such a great idea. <laughs> so you did a very funny facial expression to show that that was a sarcasm joke. This is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I did any particular facial expression. I just thought that it would... <laughs> I was about to do it to illustrate the point to the audience. <laughs> That's not going to help. <laughs> we can take a photo. Okay, in his show last year, he mentioned at one point, there was a point where he kind of broke character where he said that he had turned down a job that was over 200 grand a year as a mechatronics engineer to do this yeah that's what i'm saying he, he does this full time i know he could be an engineer but this is what he does full time oh okay now i understand what you mean okay but at the time i was like is that true or is that more show i'm confused he also cheated on his girlfriend at some point and i don't say that to like break confidence or anything like that because during his shows he would do that same thing of like breaking character a little bit to chat about his life and one thing that was obviously on his mind was the fact that he cheated on his girlfriend and so you're sitting there as an audience member being like, that wasn't super funny and it seemed kind of real. Is he setting up to something? Nope. I think he just at some point cheated on his girlfriend and that was on his mind. Okay. So when you, before, when you were like, I think where my sarcasm was off was you were like, you should date Josh Ledgroove and then break out with blah, blah, blah. My sarcasm was off because I was thinking, I heard he cheated on his girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think... That doesn't make me want to date him. And, Are we allowed um, to put this in? What's the rules on that? I don't know. Should we now definitely not send it to him? <laughs> He's a really cool guy and he made a mistake. I don't think that makes him an evil person. I think humans are complex. Yeah, I mean, I think that humans are 
complicated, but in terms of like what I know about him and his romantic endeavors, that's almost the only thing that I know. <laughs> yeah. And now it makes a lot more sense why I know that because I'm not sure <laughs> how I know that. Yeah, he, he talks about it in the show. That show is fascinating. As an improviser and as a writer, I find that show really interesting because it is entirely impulse-based. Like, every funny thing he does is him reading the room. His mind's going a, a thousand times faster than anyone else's brain in that moment, and he's reading the whole room and is reacting purely, like, instantaneously. He has to constantly be reacting instantaneously. And so it's super raw. So if he's thinking about the fact that he cheated on his girlfriend, that's going to come out because he's just speaking straight from the from the gut. Yeah. If he is thinking about the $200,000 job he turned down, that's going to come out. That's what's on his mind because you can't write a Neil Potenza show. Like he writes a lot of really good bits, but the magic is not in the written bits. It's in how he responds to the audience. I feel like now we can definitely send it to him. We just got to be like, <laughs> just hang in there and wait for the moment that Peter says that you're magical. He is. Uh, <laughs> and, and, like, so I... You're going to make fun of me because I'm talking about Christopher a lot lately. I'm currently in St. Louis with my friend Christopher, just working on stuff. He made a very successful game called Sentinels of the Multiverse. And if you're into board games at all, you've probably heard of Sentinels of the Multiverse. And if you've played it, you've been like, that's a really great game. And his whole company, which has like seven full-time employees and a warehouse and all this stuff, is based on the success of this one really good game. And I've co-designed a few games with Christopher, and he's a fantastic game designer. And... It wasn't until I saw him working on Sentinels of the Multiverse that I was like, oh, he's a genius. In the same way as you go and watch Neil Potenza and you're like, oh, he's a genius. It's just someone who has found... It's like watching a, a fish swim after just years of watching them flop around on the ground. <laughs> it's just you're like, this is the thing that you were designed to do. This is a beautiful thing to watch. And the rest of the time, like Christopher's a really good game designer. And working with him is fun and we bounce ideas back and forth. And he's very good. And then you watch him do Sentinel stuff, and it's like three levels above that in terms of quality. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just thinking about... Sorry, <laughs> this sounds really... Um, uh, you tuned out, didn't you? No, no, no. It sounds really self-involved. <laughs> I'm listening. Where I was thinking about like what it's like watching people who are really good at the thing that they're doing. I was listening. That's appropriate thing to be thinking about. <laughs> and... and um, I wrote this thing recently where I was talking about my sister and it says something like <laughs> she's a social butterfly and what I can only imagine is the original intent for the word beautiful to watch amongst others. And then I would say that I definitely flipped into not tuning in territory because I was like, that is a really beautiful sentence. <laughs> <laughs> okay you'll listen back to it later and then you'll hear what i was saying <laughs> it's one of those things that's super rare to experience and just i don't know it's it's you haven't read the book flex i keep asking you to because it is so good okay so by keep asking me to i think you've just said maybe once maybe twice that it's a really good book i've specifically asked you to read about four times and no way Yep, I could find probably records of this. Uh, okay, I challenge you to find them. Right now? <laughs> no, no, I'll just put them in the show notes. <laughs> so Flex is set in this fantasy world. It's modern fantasy, so it's set in the modern world, but there's magic. And the way magic works is it's born of love or obsession. Oh. And so the main character is a bureaumancer because he loves paperwork. 
and he's obsessed with paperwork and he's so in love with the paperwork and so obsessed with paperwork that when he does paperwork, magic happens. Like he gets so into it that the walls of reality start to bend. And so suddenly like filing cabinets burst open out from, from in front of him and, and paper streams out. And it's described in this book as just... That inc- sounds like the opposite of what you would want if you were a <laughs> <laughs> The correct forms like fly into his hands and oh, he's okay. able to... That to sounds better. Bureaumance. And throughout the course of the two books so far, there's a third one coming out soon, Flex by Ferret Steinmetz, some of my favorite books by one of my favorite authors. And throughout it, we meet other people. So like the, the secondary main character is obsessed with video games. And we meet people who just have like, there's someone who's obsessed yeah. with cats. So you'd be really, you'd have, oh my God, magic cats. Yes. <laughs> okay, so this is definitely how you should have sold this book to me because <laughs> you just said it's a really great book. You should read it. Yeah, I did. I'm really bad at recommending things sometimes. But like watching Christopher work and watching Josh Ladgrove work, I totally get like the metaphor of, of this of this magic. And it's just incredible. Like I just, I don't know. I'm in awe when I get to sit down and just watch these people because Christopher basically dives into a notebook and writes game stuff and then emerges with like this stuff that it doesn't quite work and he's tweaking and it needs balancing. But you just look at it and you're like, oh, no one else could have written that. And you, you made it look easy. That's what it is. It's no one else could do it and they make it look easy. I think Josh Ladgrove, you can see that he's working, but he's so naturally funny and instantly charming and... and Hilarious. Like, his shows are just so good. I mean, I think the other thing that you need to... Okay, so I can find these kinds of conversations about people who are just geniuses and they've just found what they're supposed to do, like, really... Depressing? Depressing, demotivating. I'm like, I don't think there is a thing that I do that is like that. I'm actually doing a Writers in Residence with Next Wave Festival at the moment, and we had some writers come in. We could ask them questions and stuff. And one of the bits I really appreciated was one of the writers who's really established and a really well-known writer. She was like, I find writing really difficult. I find it really hard to do. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for that. That is the piece I'm going to take from this. I mean, there were some other good pieces, but that was (laughs) that I particularly held on to that because I was just like, oh, oh, it's okay to find it hard and to still do it. I see the point you're making, so I'm going to talk about Ferret Steinmetz. Because also, I've read his... but what okay, I was going to say is I'm not is going that... to. You're going to talk You're not going to talk about it. <laughs> you should leave this interruption in. Um, <laughs> what Josh Lagrove's been doing Neil Potenza for like nine years. Like, I remember... Oh, this is probably telling too much. Maybe we shouldn't tell him to listen to this. But anyway, I have a friend who's good, good friend, who's friends with him and who saw him in the beginning when he was doing Neil Potenza. And he saw his show and was like, dude, um, I feel awkward. I don't know how to tell you that that was really bad. Yeah. Like. Well, Harley Hefford, who we talked about extensively last week, went and saw one of his early shows, which had a really clever premise. And he's just like, it was fine. Yeah. It was a clever premise and then nothing else. Yeah. I'm not not saying that like. I'm not saying these people are magical. (laughs) I'm saying it's a joy to watch people who are great at a thing do the thing that they're really great at. Yeah. And so I'm going to use Ferret as an example because I've been reading his blog since I was 14. Uh, yeah. I've been reading his blog for 14 years now. He was very formative in my years. And he, like this novel is great. I really thoroughly recommend these two novels. I have been reading his blog for 14 years. When I started reading, he'd been trying to be a writer for upwards of 10 or 20 years. Wow. 
I think that's why he's so obsessed with this like idea of seeing people do their best. Because for him, creating is not this magical process where filing cabinets burst open and words appear on the page. Yeah, he yeah, doesn't yeah. dive into a notebook. He sits down and forces himself to write. He like agonizingly squeezes every word out. And it's it's not torturous, but it's it's exhausting, and he has to put all of his effort into it. And he doesn't make it look easy, and he doesn't look like he's dancing with the words. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying that watching Neil Potenza or watching Christopher is a joyous thing to watch. And that's not to say that's the only way you can create good things, or you should aspire to that. I'm just saying my experience of watching that was, wow, that is beautiful to watch. Oh, I mean, definitely. I feel that way. It's one thing I agree with you. It's one reason also why... I feel bad that all of these examples are men. <laughs> I was going to give you thing. another example was that okay. um, it's one reason why I really appreciate that Lena Dunham, she has all of her old, early films still up online. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're just so bad. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, and I can't remember if she created the genre or whether it was retroactively assigned to her, but it's called Mumblecore. Which basically just means piece of shit. <laughs> I'm being like way too harsh. <laughs> Probably some people like them, but I, I watch we them. We won't send like... this to Lena Dunham. <laughs> we won't send it. I was just like, what is this? But I also just really appreciate that, like, that she's really consciously kept all of those up there. They're really easy to find because then you can kind of see the trajectory and be like, ah, oh, that's where you started. That's where you ended up. Ah, oh, that makes so much sense. So I have all of my really early writings online. I mean, there is stuff from when I was 12 that is online, uh, which we will link to in the show notes. No, 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 no. You will give me one specific thing <laughs> to link to. So I'm going to tell a story. Um, actually, we're going to do an intro, then I'm going to tell a story. Okay. Hello, everyone. This is Being Honest with My Ex. <laughs> my ex is Peter C. Hayward. My Emphasis ex is... on the C. My ex is Honor C. Eastley, and I am going to tell you about the time I was homeless for a month, because I don't think we've ever talked oh, about this wow. in the podcast. You know what? I just read a story this morning that reminded me of that so hardcore, because there was a guy, I can't remember his name, but they've opened this thing in Melbourne. It's called the Shower Bus. It's a bus that has showers in it, and it gets parked at different locations so that I mean, it's designed for people who don't like have a house, yeah, who don't have accommodation to use the facilities. But the guy who created it decided to live kind of alongside with people who were homeless for six months, right? And that's how he came to the point of deciding. That's the useful thing to do. That's a useful thing to do. Let's make some showers. Right. Apparently they have this cool thing on Saturdays or something. They have like showers and then they also have free haircuts and colors and sounds lovely. That kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. But it really reminded me of your experience of being homeless for a month voluntarily. What do you know of that story? Okay. So what I know of that story is you moved to Melbourne. And you were like, I am a man of the world who would like to experience the experience of human experiences. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to, when I first get to Melbourne, I'm going to live on the streets for a month and I'm going to write a blog about it every day. And you'd send the blog to your cousin Gavin. He'd type it up and post it. And I know that you got in serious 
shit on the internet for it. Like, websites were created and dedicated to the hatred of yourself, which I think in turn is why you, like, don't care so much about people hating you. They dug up stuff from, like, your early stand-up comedy where you were doing, like, I know one of them you were doing a rape joke somewhere in there, which is, like, early Peter comedy. And your mum got involved and started trying (laughs) to defend you. Which, as we all know, those stories always end well. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, that's what I remember. And and it was, you were raising money for yeah. a charitable organization. And then I know little bits of stories of, like, what the experience was like that you told me about. That is such an excellent summary. Is it? It's like the, yeah, it's like the first 12 lines of Romeo and Juliet. I'm comparing you to Shakespeare. <laughs> I should just edit this, put it up on my Twitter, pinned tweet. <laughs> do you have a pin tweet? I don't have a pin tweet. It's about this podcast. Nice. Oh man, I should do it about my Kickstarter, uh, which is <laughs> no shit. It's like really, I didn't really think about it that much. I was just like, oh, this is the thing that I'm doing, and I think that's why people are like, oh, that's a thing that you do, and I know about it because when, yeah. Anyway. So years and years ago, because this was all in 2009, 2010. So six years ago. Uh, is when it happened. But even years before that, I was always like, I wonder what would happen if I did this. So for a month, I only ate $28 worth of food once. And one time I put a plate of meat in my backyard just to see what would happen over the course of a month. I took photos every day. Uh, that one's based on a famous internet experiment. I was like, I want to do that as well. Because I was just obsessed with like doing stuff and seeing what happened. And one of the things I wanted to do was just live on the streets for a month and just see what that was like. And so I brought that up to my co-workers in Canberra when I was working in uh, at the Australian Library and Information Association. And they were all like, what? That, that is not a thing that people do. That's super interesting. And then someone was like, you know what you should do? You should do that and use it as a cause to raise money. And I was like, oh yeah, that's great. Like I was going to do it anyway. It might as well be for a good cause. And so I went online and I advertised in a few live journal communities because this was in the day of live journal. And I was like, I don't want to come across as a wanker, so I won't mention the charity aspect. That was oh, a... Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, that changes it. Yeah, that changes it. This is before the days of Tumblr, but you know the angry Tumblr forces that exist? Yeah, I do know this. It was the equivalent of that poured in from all sides of the internet. And I had seen this happen to the ferret, and I had seen this happen to other people. When and how did it happen to the ferret? He wrote this post once, which used buying a cheeseburger as a metaphor for dating... Oh, people would not like that. And so people reposted it being like, this guy thinks women are cheeseburgers. And Mm. he got a lot of hate. And I remember watching all these people get this hate and was like, why don't they ever respond to this? So I went through and I responded to every comment. (laughs) That is not an effective way to deal with it, turns out. And then when that didn't work, you're like, mom, I can't get to all of these comments. (laughs) No, no, that is 100% not what happened. (laughs) I went and responded to every comment and people reacted really poorly to that. And so I was like, I don't understand because this was me at the age of six years ago. I was 21, 22. And I was just like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get why this isn't working. I'm explaining myself to these people. Surely once they hear the explanation, they'll understand where I'm coming from. And to their credit, like two people did. Okay. Of how many? I want to say like probably between 20 and 50 which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're a 21-year-old kid who's never had the internet facing you, that's a lot of sudden attention to yeah. be getting. Particularly like if it's strangers, yeah. it's really different. Do you remember what you were saying last week? No, sorry, two weeks ago about being really afraid of people having really good arguments against you? 
Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, like we were talking about ridiculous arguments. It's like, yeah, well, that's really stupid. But if someone's like, here is five reasons why you are a dickhead, it's like, oh. So imagine dozens of those coming in. Yeah. And me being like, this is, like, I think this is partially why I just have no fear about it because it's happened to me. And I'm like, oh, it doesn't affect your life at all. It depends how you deal with it. It doesn't affect your life. Yeah, yeah, okay. So at it, the it, it capacities that you've experienced. Yes, I didn't mean to say otherwise. <laughs> and so I explained myself to these people and they all were like, nope, you were wrong for these reasons. And I was like, no, but you, you misunderstand what I'm saying. Here, have another explanation. And they were like, oh, look at this guy. He's an idiot. And I was like, I don't understand. I'm trying really hard <laughs> to explain myself to these people. And it's just not working. Surely oh. if you present people with a reasonable argument, they will be swayed. That was the moment I learned that's not how people work. And so I went ahead and did it anyway. And I wrote up the blog, like you said, I sent it to Gavin, had experiences. Mum found out about the whole thing and she was obviously very worried about it. <laughs> Siri thinks I'm talking to her now. I don't know what I said there that triggered, hey Siri, but uh, something made Siri go like, I'm being paid attention to. And so I, I went and did it anyway. Before I went, there were comments that were like, here, let me present you what will happen. Because I, I was begging for money. Like I didn't just live on the streets. I actually, my entire income was asking people for money and then spending it on food. And people were like, let me present you a day of, of this. Jane is a homeless woman and she has been for years. She goes up to someone for money, but they've already given her away to this, uh, you know, this young brash 21 year old. So she can't eat that night. She tries to find the one safe park bench that she can sleep on, but it's taken by that same 21 year old. She doesn't get, you know, she gets raped that night. It was something like, it was full on. It was like this, Peter, if you do this, people will suffer. And I was like, I don't think that's true. Did it. And it turns out those people have no idea what they're talking about. And at the end of it, I felt very vindicated because like none of these people have any idea what the fuck they're talking about, which was very nice for me, but didn't help their opinion of me get any better. Wait, what don't they know? Like what don't, like what don't they know? So they were treating all these things as like limited resources. If you decide to sleep as a homeless person and you want either a well-lit spot or a dark spot, there are probably 800 times as many spots than the homeless population of Melbourne can fill. Hmm. There is no limit on safe spots. There just absolutely isn't. I slept in a different spot every night without issue. And I realize I'm a male and I'm a, I'm a fully mentally and physically capable person. But even with that in mind, there are unlimited spots. Hmm. Okay. When you're asking people for money, it's people who are walking through the city. Yeah. When you're walking through the city, you're generally going from one spot to another. I end up only begging for about half an hour a day because it is mentally exhausting. Yeah. But in that half hour, I could reliably make upwards of 25 bucks. Like, yeah, right. Just from going to people and being like, hey, change, you would get a lot of no's and you would get enough yeses that by the end of it, you would have money. And that is a constant turnover. Like I could do that 12 hours a day and not run out of money. Wow. In half an hour, you could get 25 bucks. I might be exaggerating that. It's been six years since I really thought about it. But in an hour, I could definitely, definitely get 25 bucks. In half an hour, I reckon I could get probably 10, 15 easy. Yeah, right. And you could say, Peter, that's because you're a healthy white male. Yes, but me doing that doesn't detract from other people being able to do that. It's not a nil-sum game. What? You had a massive reaction. No, no, no. I mean, while you've been telling this story, you've been cutting out a bit. So I've been trusting on the fact that I already mostly know this story. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is why I haven't been like blah 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 but also my brain is this is going to go on a tangent but I'll just keep it short I've okay. been like not very well and when I'm not really well I get really exhausted 
and noticeably my brain stops being able to like my cognitive capacities are far lower the other day I put toothpaste on my hand wash <laughs> to try and brush my teeth and I was like why didn't I not pick up my toothbrush what is a hand wash so I picked up like the bottle of hand cleaner and I put toothpaste <laughs> on it to go and brush my teeth and I was like yes this is familiar this is what happens when you're like emotionally exhausted yeah like your brain stops working so you're taking all these things and I'm like I don't have capacity to like offer things to this conversation about a sensitive issue because my brain is not working yeah Anyway, that's that's what my brain is doing. I'm like, that's why I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, okay. I don't have anything tougher. Yeah. I've always distinctly remembered that comment because they were like, you are going to destroy lives. And I was like, I don't think you know what you're talking about. And then I did it. And they just had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah. Uh, As well as that, I got death threats and I got rape threats. There were people who were like, you are going to be posting where you are on this blog. I'm going to find you. I'm going to hunt you down and I'm going to rape you. And I was like okay that is i don't think they <laughs> wow. will wow is that why you changed where you were staying uh no that was sort of just the main thing about it that i learned is that it's really fucking boring it's so boring i just tried to do anything i could to make it interesting like i ended up living off the mx which is a free daily newspaper in melbourne because it was free i would pick it up and i would read that cover to cover and i would do the sudoku and i would do the crossword And like, I am not a newspaper guy and I'm not particularly a Sudoku or crossword guy. But during that month, I think I did almost every day's MX. And one day I missed it and I was like, no, (laughs) oh God. Wow. You know, we don't have MX anymore. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure. Huh. I was on the front page of MX. Why? Because someone read the blog and sent it to MX to be like, look at this fuckwit. He's fucking up fucking fucking fucking. And MX were like, this guy's raising money for charity by living homeless. That's interesting. And so I got a front page story. <laughs> uh, so after this month of homelessness, I got a house and lived in a house and had the internet and went online and stuff like that. During the month, I didn't check the blog. I had access to free internet through computers in the library and stuff like that, but I didn't check the blog. And then after this homeless month, I read a month worth of just hateful comments, like just the stuff that keeps you up at night in fear. Oh, yeah. Full month of that directed at me, full force. And in that same week, I got a job as a salesman. Wow. Which is putting yourself out there every day, like making friends with people and being charming in order to get money out of them. Yeah. And since those two things, I have not been the social person that I once was. Those two things kind of broke me as a person. And so my little brother, Xander, who I love to bits, is a social butterfly and is lovely and he's very smart and he's, he's driven and all this. And. I just watch it and I'm like, if he ever is like, I'm going to go homeless and blog about it and the internet will hate me and I'll become a salesman, I will say, <laughs> live experiences, but don't do that because it will genuinely diminish your enjoyment of other people. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes me think about like, when I was younger, there would have been so many more things that I would be like, yeah, I want to feel all of the feelings. And now yeah, that I'm older, that was I'm very like, much no, I want to feel more of the good ones. Yep. <laughs> There's a really great post, I think I've talked about it before, by Paul Graham. And he talks about the most intelligent people he knows are deliberately naive because, or maybe not the most intelligent, the most most loving and hopeful people he knows are deliberately naive about things. Because if you dig deep into, you know, the atrocities of human history, you end up a more cynical person, like a more 
angry and broken and distrustful person. And I don't want to say a worse person because I don't think that it's a better, worse kind of dichotomy. But you end up a less happy person the more awful things you look into. And Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot recently because I've been quite depressed to the point that we were talking about it earlier because I was like, I don't know if I want to do this because I just went and saw my psychiatrist and she was like, I have seen you deteriorate over the last three months. Would you like some drugs? And I was like, no, I don't want drugs. Yeah. (laughs) Did you use that voice? (laughs) Where, where, where? (laughs) No, I think I just had a very thoughtful pause and was like, <sighs> yeah. But that thing that I mentioned before about how there's that guy doing the shower bus. Yeah. Homeless people. I had this moment where I was writing today and I was like, wow, that feels like the first piece of good news I've read in a long time. Oh, wow. You should subscribe to Reddit's <laughs> Uplifting News subreddit. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, because I understand that, you know, what you put in comes out as other stuff and it's not just food coming out as poo. It's like, you know. <laughs> can that, can thoughts... that be our full quote? <laughs> <laughs> the thoughts you put in come out as other thoughts. And so yeah. it's why, like, you know, and you're good at this, but I get obsessed with stuff like making a murderer. That TV show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did we talk about that on the podcast? And I was like, stop telling me about it, please. I do not want to hear about it. Uh, no, just out in outside life, I think. But <laughs> most people know what Making a Murderer is. It's a documentary series about bad stuff, like awful, awful systematic injustice and all that kind of stuff. And social injustice. Oh, God. Oh, now I just feel awful thinking about it. Anyway, I haven't... I've chosen at this stage, not to finish the series because it's just too painful. Like, yeah, and my partner Karen is like, SJ, you have such a beautiful, sensitive brain. That's so empathic. You know, you need to be careful about like, do not watch this show. No, just like you need to be mindful about what kind of stories you're putting into your head. Yeah. Because I noticed that even like, you know, I mean, depression is just like, you know, rose colored glasses. Whatever the opposite of that is, like poo-stained glasses. Shoes. <laughs> poo shoes. It's like, poo yeah, shoes. it's like stepping in shit and you know that smell just follows you around and you just... Oh, nice. I like how you, you turn that into a useful metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look at your shoes, there's no shit. Yep. Um, <laughs> and it makes sense that I'm depressed because I've been spending so much time thinking about like... Atrocities. No, not atrocities so much, but like tedious adult humanitarian failings. Atrocities are like sad. They have like really specific emotions. That's awful. Let's not do that again. But stuff like how organizations are built and how... Okay, so this is particularly on my mind. I feel like it's okay to talk about because I talked about this with my boss yesterday. That big organizations that employ a lot of people, of which I just started working at one. I think there's like ten, like technically 10,000 people, like staff members. I think it's like 10,000. Anyway, it's a lot of people. And the kind of systems we as humans put in place to try and deal with that amount of people 
and getting people through those systems and how absolutely imperfect and frustrating and shit and monotonous and tedious they are and how much they just like bring you down. (laughs) I've been thinking about those kind of systems a lot and like making a murderer is a really great example of that kind of stuff because this is just, it's just a story of like the social justice system, you know, the the social legal, sorry, what I mean is like the legal (laughs) You know, the Department of Justice, the legal system, it's a story about that and about how we can't make perfect systems and people get fucked over. And that's a reality I understand. But when you look at the minutiae of how that affects individual people's lives, that is depressing as all fuck, which is why lately I've been reading a lot of fiction. (laughs) Oh, really? You should check out Flex by Ferris. Oh, no shit. I've been reading Miranda July's book, The New Bad Man, which I'm not going to do it justice because what I love about the book is how beautifully she creates these other people and their thought patterns. And I just, I am just in love with it. But the actual story, I'm like, this is super weird. And I love that you, she just seems unafraid to make situations, characters, plots that people would get offended by. Oh, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Like, The New Bad Man, which is what I'm reading, which is her most recent book. Okay, this is like a spoiler warning because I'm going to talk about what happens in the book. It's like an older woman who has not, you know, she does I just like this idea of fiction where you can create characters that don't have to be perfect. Like, these characters don't have to be politically correct or anything. They just have to have dimension. And also what happens in this story, like there's stuff about the main character getting with someone who's much younger, the main character's like kind of love interest getting with someone who's underage and like quite graphic. And I was just like, wow, I would never write this because... You'd be afraid of people being like, that's not okay. Not even just afraid of that's not okay, but afraid of making something that I know for some people has been really serious, seem flippant. Does that make sense? Just to remind you, uh, (laughs) what's my job? I know that, yeah, (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know, I wasn't doing that as a dig. I was just Do you want me to say what it is? It's not a secret. Maybe people have forgotten. What is your job, Peter? I write incest porn, incest to get people off. Well, it's also like mind control, though, which mind is like also dubious porn. kind of consenty type stuff. Yeah. And because I think about that, too, sometimes and I'm like, I doing this homeless thing and being so hated by the Internet was very freeing because I think that is a big part of the reason that I'm like, I don't care if people don't like me. I've had that happen. People are dumb. <laughs> Sure, they can not like me. But I mean, the reality is also that if you're going to do anything in public, you're going to get criticism. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it actually doesn't yeah. matter what you do. <laughs> yeah. And I write incest mind control and people still like me. You know, like I still have friends. I still have very Christian friends. Like there are people who are very Christian who still consider me, who, I, you know, I'm still very good, good friends with. I just edited episode 16, which is the one where we talked a lot about being afraid of people hating you. Yeah. And so it's been in my mind for a few days since I edited it. And just trying to work out, yeah, I've just been kind of mentally trying to trace back as to why I just have these freedoms. You described it as you have these freedoms that other people don't have. And I think I got there by agonizingly breaking myself free of these things. 
the mind controlling system thing wasn't agonizing, but for the first few years that I, like for the first five years that I wrote that for fun, I never told anyone. And for the first probably two years that I wrote it for a living, I still didn't tell anyone. And then one day I, I mean, started telling people. I mean, you didn't not tell people. You weren't like, hello, this is my real name and I'm online and hello everyone. This is what I no, do. I gen- do you not remember when I first started doing it for a job, we told people I wrote romance? No shit. No, we didn't tell everyone that, did we? We, we definitely avoided specifying what I wrote for a while. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I definitely, I think at work and stuff. I remember. No, I mean, like, I, I remember being in a car with you and some friends who had just met through Polyvic, so already very open-minded people, and it was like yeah, the third right. time we'd hung out with them, and I was like, I'm going to tell them. And that was a big moment for me because I hadn't been telling people. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like you were, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie some stuff from earlier in. It's like when you were saying, you know, pe- Ooh, I like this. <laughs> people went and saw Neil Portens when he was starting and he wasn't very good at it, and now he's the master of his craft. I seem like this person who tells everything to everyone and I do and I'm, I'm very good at it and I'm the master of that but if you go back to my origin story I wasn't good at that and I didn't do that and I learned how to do that over time and not being afraid of being hated people is because I was so viciously hated and it made me sort of really uncomfortable and happy for a long time until I was like oh it just doesn't matter whereas what I write incest mind control kind of as a job thing that is something I slowly opened up to. But either way, like, I got to where I am now. I wasn't born, you know, at the age of 15, I wasn't like, hey, everyone, I don't care if you hate me and I write incest mind control. That is something that I learned over the last 18 years or 13 years or 28 years. Yeah, I was just thinking about how I relate to that a lot. I mean, this is what I think is so sad about when people write. I mean, I've seen it happen particularly online when, when you see people write other people off. For something they did one time. Yeah. Or not even one time, but... To a certain extent, we talked about it earlier with Josh. I was like, he cheated on his girlfriend, but humans are complex. And I felt the need to add that disclaimer of he did a bad thing. And there are a lot of people who genuinely, even our lovely open-minded listeners, who will hear that and be like, oh, okay, Josh is a bad person. I mean, I did when you were like, you should date Josh. And I was like, hmm, I have this sneaking suspicion he's a bad person. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, just... You know, everybody fucks up. Oh, yes. I mean, you fuck up more than most people. Or... Oh, yes. <laughs> I do not deny that in the I slightest. was waiting for you to defend no. yourself. Really? I don't think that... I was talking about this today with a friend of mine. He, it's weird. He does stuff right the first time, which is so strange to me. Like, that's such a foreign idea to me. He'll generally start doing stuff and be good at it. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Because I start doing something, I'm shit at it for a very long time. And then you get better. And I get better. The exception is I think I I do that process quickly in that I get totally obsessed with something. Oh, yeah, you do that. I get totally obsessed and fixated and do something really shit aggressively for a while. (laughs) I do something aggressively shitly for long (laughs) enough that I become good at it. Yeah, so uh, we've talked about this before. My cousin Gavin and I did a vlogging series where we made a vlog every day of the year. That is a really full-on way to learn how to vlog. And now I'm probably a pretty good vlogger. Like I had to edit together my Kickstarter video and I was able to do that in half an hour because I just used all my vlogging techniques and done. And it looks really good and it's super fun. And I didn't go out with a script. I went out there with a vague idea of what I wanted to say and I was able to improvise it because of my vlogging experience. And that's because I was like, I want to be good at vlogging. So I just did shitty vlogs for a full year and I got better and better over the course of the year. They were still shit, but (laughs) I improved on my skills. I'm a good writer because I have been writing. I've written probably close to 
five or 10 million words in my life. Because as a kid, I had a live journal from when I was 14 until I was 24 and I updated it basically daily with thousands of words. <laughs> oh my God. That just sounds like so tiresome. Yeah. And I write incest mind control. I have written more than a million words of incest mind control. That's a crazy amount. <laughs> do you know that the Justin Bieber song, Sorry, do you know this song? I do not. Is it too late not to say sorry? Oh, 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 oh. Okay. You don't know that song? Not at all. Okay. It's been played over a billion times on YouTube. Huh. It sounds lovely. I just wanted to make you feel small, I think. <laughs> I didn't want to make you feel small. I was just thinking about that today. That's a lot of plays. So, yeah, I think I do fail more than other people because I fail quickly and aggressively and obsessively. <laughs> and I think that's also partially why I'm like, of course I will be famous. Of course I will get something that works. I don't want to go into it in too much detail, but have I ever told you about the podcast I did with Gavin? No. Yeah, in 2007, we did like 50 episodes of a, of a podcast and I edited half of them. We split the duties, but they were not very good. <laughs> but again, I was just like, podcast, that sounds cool. Let's do it a bunch. And so when it came to doing this one, I was like, I know how to edit this. And already I'm way better at editing this podcast. But yeah, this leads me into my big point, which yes. is Melanie Falco is recorded as an outro. So let's hear from her. Uh <laughs> I really wanted a point. Can you just make up one? I know that there are two types of genius in the world. I read this great article about it years ago. Oh, yeah. And one of them is like the person who does all their great work before they're 25. And the other one is the person who doesn't do it until after they're 40. Yeah. You sound so bored by this idea. Yeah. I mean, I told you before I was in a really negative mood and have been <laughs> for like three months. <laughs> Oh, also because when you're like, I have 17 friends who are geniuses. And I'm like, I said I don't, two. Yeah, I, I know two. But I'm like, and none of them are me. And, you know, like, of course none of them are me. But I don't know. My 12-year-old self that got all of those awards is like, why? What happened? Where did you go to? You know, and I think that's a thing, particularly for me, it was like 25 of being like, oh God, I'm not young anymore and I haven't achieved anything remarkable yet. And then from there, it's been like just a slow sort of acceptance of that. That sounds really depressing, but I feel like that's a really normal reality for a lot of adults. <laughs> I can understand that feeling depressing, but I think the alternative is so much worse. Imagine if you had become famous or, or successful at the age of like 22. Holy shit. No, I don't think that that would be good either. But, oh, that would be so much worse. Yeah. Oh, man, I would be such a mess. And not just you, but like, oh, my God. Yeah, I think about that. And I'm like, no. Oh, oh thank God. goodness I live in this reality. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have learned so much over the last six years that if I met the me of 22, I would be fascinated and just be like, cool, you're interesting. Do not come near me, please. <laughs> you're not a person I admire or respect in any way i was gonna say like oh yeah that's like how i feel about our relationship but that's not exactly how i feel about our relationship but you know how i was like yeah i wouldn't date you if we met now yeah that was a decision for younger previous sj yep i hear there's a hypothetical that you can pose of like if you go back in time one year and you know relive that year what would you do and i remember when we were together i heard that and i was like no 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 <laughs> Like, Esther and I have both become such better people in this one year. Uh, this is when we were first trying poly stuff, and we both were so shit at it. And the idea yeah. of going back a year 
and like me knowing the stuff we know now and you not, I was like, ah, like, oh, that would be agonizing. My friend Melanie Folker has recorded us an outro. Here it is. Thanks for listening to Being Honest with My Ex. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes, leave a review and tell your friends. Peter is my favorite son. I don't believe her. <laughs> Melanie, I just do not believe that one single bit. Also, have you met Xander? Peter's brother he's He's very excellent and he still has a naive love for people amazing beautiful thing to have (laughs) that's all from us oh I I subscribe to our mailing list (laughs) you're so shit at this you do it all that shit um (laughs) you can find us on twitter and on our mailing list and if you want to talk about the podcast just come over to my facebook page which is facebook.com slash honor eastly and yeah we'll talk to you there that's also we do a warm-up uh before before we record we do a warm-up and that's a mailing list exclusive so listen to that because <laughs> i just looked at the stats and no one listens to it and we put a fucking hey, hey, huge hey, amount hey. of work into that 25 people is not no one it's true it's a very small amount of people <laughs> so subscribe to our mailing list that's, click a, through cla- the archives that's a classroom you, size of people click through to the archives and you can listen to our warm-up That's all from us. Goodbye.